So last week I put up an episode with a little introduction about my frustrations about this whole world of marketing and not really understanding how to reach out to a huge range of people as a dance therapist because I never had any training in that. So I was inspired to create this mind-body marketing mini-series. I put the first episode out last week, and today I'm putting out the second episode of this series. So if you'd like, you can stop listening to this one right now and just go back to episode 16. I also want to let everyone know that the Leave a Review Contest is only going on for about one more week, one week and a few days. It ends on October 9th, and if you leave a review, you will have a chance to win a free Elastoblast. That's good for dance therapy prop, any type of creative arts therapy prop, um, good for fitness, yoga classes, something you can use in the classroom, something you can use with children at home. I have all the details on the website, www.mindyourbodydmt.com. It's all there under the Leave a Review page. And by the way, we just got a nice revamp of the site. The design looks awesome, thanks to my husband. And you should check it out. So in today's episode, I talked to Mark Metz, who's the founder of Conscious Dancer Magazine and the Dance First Association. I had a really awesome conversation with him. He has an amazing story about how he built this community of conscious dance practices from all around the world. And um, it's really impressive. He talks about how he, he talks about his life experiences that pretty much led him here and how he worked hard to build up this community and this brand. So I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Great. Well, I'm delighted to be on your podcast with you here, Ari. Uh, my name is Mark Metz, and I'm the publisher of Conscious Dancer Magazine and uh, more recently the director of the Dance First Association. And um, that's pretty much my main activities. I also uh, DJ and do a lot of writing and um, do a lot of stuff with music and analog. Uh, but back to Dance First and Conscious Dancer. Um, Conscious Dancer is a magazine that was established about 10 years ago. Had a print run up until about 2012 before I moved it online. And, um, and now I publish a weekly newsletter called Monday Love that is on the Conscious Dancer website and on my mailing list. And the Dance First Association is a international association for dance and movement and really conscious dance facilitators who want to connect with each other and share our platform for promotion and really be kind of um, united and gathered together under this umbrella of conscious dance. So serving the greater conscious dance field around the world is um, pretty much what I'm up to. That's great. I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening understands what the concept behind that is. And maybe you can explain the dance first and conscious dancer mission. Sure. Well, the term conscious dance 
wasn't really in circulation when we founded the magazine back in uh, 06 or 07. It, so it's, it's kind of a term that we coined at the time by making a magazine called Conscious Dancer. And I always felt like it was like there needed to be something like a category for all of the sort of the gray area of dance. And what I mean by that is there's already plenty of media around choreography and performance and um, traditional forms of dance. There's also a good community and media around traditional forms of dance like salsa and tap and tango and all the social dances. And then there's also, um, you know, there was plenty out there in the world around dance like nightclub and rave and mm -hmm. club culture. What there wasn't was anything in the realm of, well, we coined the term conscious dance at the time. And that's like all the different barefoot and non-alcohol and not in a club forms of dance. And also all of the, what I call modalities. And I guess that's really kind of the sweet spot under the conscious dance umbrella. And what I mean by modalities is the forms of movement that are like branded and have training programs around them. So typically um, when we speak of conscious dance, we're often talking about things like five rhythms or soul motion or open floor or um, Nia or Takatina or Biodanza. The list just goes on and on and on. And at the time, 10 years ago, we were able to count maybe 15 or 20 modalities. And seven or eight years later, when we, when we did another survey of the field, we were able to identify probably almost a hundred. So wow. it's definitely been a growing field. More and more people are starting, um, modalities or developing training programs. One of the things about the term conscious dance that's interesting is, I mean, at the same time we were launching conscious dancer, um, ecstatic dance was kind of becoming a thing. And some of the ecstatic dances were starting to sort of follow up this particular model and be like, Oh, there's ecstatic dance here and ecstatic dance there. And as soon as we started circulating the term conscious dance, we noticed a lot of the modalities were really glad to suddenly have something else to lump themselves under that wasn't ecstatic dance. And so I feel like ecstatic dance is sort of a subset of conscious dance but a lot of the things that call themselves or, or, or that, shall I say, are happy referring to themselves as conscious dance uh, aren't really ecstatic dance. And, What's um, ecstatic dance? Well, ecstatic dance is very much like freestyle, big barefoot boogie type things where it's just a freestyle DJ dance, but typically with electronic music. And there's no facilitation to be to be speaking of. So it's like a dance jam that's a little bit more edgy and festival oriented or um, typically, especially, you know, the fellow that organizes them here and runs a sort of a network of them out of Oakland. You know, he tells people he, he expects the music to be current and up to date and electronic mm -hmm. and that there should be, you know, bass bands and it should be like a club experience, but there just should be no alcohol and it should be barefoot and you know, so some of the things like Gabrielle Roth used to tell me, and Gabrielle Roth is the person that founded um, Five Rhythms, uh, you know, she would say, don't call Five Rhythms ecstatic dance. You know, we're, we're not ecstatic dance. I mean, sure, that's part of what we do, but there's a lot more to it than that. 
So it's, you know, it's been kind of a semantics game, like who, like what sort of things fall under this umbrella and which don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really been interesting and gratifying to see the uptake of the term and how the term has gotten to be very um, widely used around the world. And so a lot of uh, modalities now call themselves, oh, this is a conscious dance practice or this is a conscious dance festival or conference or gathering or training or whatever. So conscious dance has become kind of like the de facto term, which is really neat to see that happen because it needed to be a better umbrella for all these things. And the other thing that we've been happy to see with the term conscious dance is that things like dance movement therapy, somatic psychotherapy, um, the the more things like authentic movement, Mm -hmm. some of the movement forms that are almost more like practitioner based or they're one to one or they're done in small groups without any music. Um, those all fit under the conscious dance umbrella quite easily, but they don't really fit under the ecstatic dance umbrella because they're not right. like, you know, a big party. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so that's yeah. like some of that kind of stuff. Now, one of the things that I was, I was sort of tasked to do along the way was really define the term, you know, that like people would say, well, so you, you say that you guys coined the term conscious dance, define it. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by conscious dance? And um, I wrote about this the other day in my Monday Love newsletter that I sent out. By the way, people that are listening can get on my mailing list at ConsciousDancer.com and get my Monday Love news every week. But I talked about that. And the term that I came up with is um, conscious dance could, could be loosely defined as movement with an intention towards greater awareness. And to me, and this is what I wrote about last couple weeks ago when I was writing about it, it's like it's open-ended and loose enough, but it also sort of fits with the um, Rudolf Steiner philosophy of like ages and stages and how we go through different times in our life you know, from the time we're kids to the time we're old folks, we're constantly growing and evolving and going through a different age and stage in our life. And when it comes to dance and movement, there's a time in your life when you need, when you're maybe young and you want to go to concerts. Or for me, you know, there was a time in my life when I would go to Grateful Dead shows and dance for hours. And then I got into, um, you know, it was the eighties and punk rock was happening and we'd go to these shows and, bounce around off each other and everything. And so at different times in my life, as I've grown up and gone through different stages, dance has kind of been there for me in different forms. And what has happened, what I've noticed happened over the years is that's often where like the aha moments happen or the flashes of insight happen where you're dancing or you're in movement or you're out like expressing yourself with your body on a dance floor And, you know, you might have the realization that it's like, wow, I need to move on from this or move up from it or move (laughs) on to the next thing. So whatever it is. So it it typically the aha moments to me have come at times when it's like, oh, that's like uh, an insight or a flash towards greater awareness. So, you know, I don't like to say that conscious dance is only only just some rarefied thing that you do you know, at a retreat center on some beautiful hardwood floor sitting in a circle. It's like, you know, anytime dance or movement is raising your consciousness throughout life, 
you know, that could be looked at as conscious dance, especially if it's moving you forward, if it's helping you spiral upwards through the spiral of consciousness. Um, one of the bodies of work that we like and refer to sometimes is the work of David Hawkins. Um, and he's written a book called power versus force. And he's written a book called transcending the levels of consciousness. He's written seven or eight books, but, um, David Hawkins talks about levels of consciousness. That's basically his work is like exploring the levels of consciousness that we grow through or evolve or stay stuck at for that matter. And I've always looked at levels of consciousness. Like if you're not spiraling upwards, you know, you're just going around in circles. You're just stuck in a rut. So, you know, we're constantly learning and expanding and growing. And if we're conscious and awake and present, we're becoming more healthy and more happy and more functional and integrated as we move through life. And dance, intentional movement or dance in a community really facilitates this process. And it really helps people shake loose old patterns, recognize patterns that aren't serving them, and provide insights to move forward into, you know, better better and more positive and higher vibration kind of levels of being. So conscious dance for me, and, you know, I, I think for a lot of the people that are really involved in it and active in it and stuff like that, really see it that way as, um, well, by rhythms tells it a moving meditation. Um, there's uh, dance medicine, there's movement meditation. There's all these different terms that really point to the fact that it's like meditation in motion. It's like, life coaching through movement. It's like, you know, ways of, um, upgrading your well-being uh, through movement, through fitness, through, uh, whatever it may be that, you know, is helping, helping you access a higher state of consciousness. So it also points to the idea that consciousness is, not something you just sort of sit in a chair <laughs> and, you know, say, okay, let's let my head talk to your head and let's like yeah, that's conceptualize <laughs> about like what it's like to be healthy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know, that's not always like be the best healthy. route to go. Right. So, you know, that's, that's part of our thing with conscious dance and the whole philosophy behind it too. Is like, you know, if you're gonna, um, evolve or heal or expand your mind you've got to bring the body along and you've got to you've got to like you can't divorce consciousness from the body it just doesn't work right. it's like your your consciousness and your body are are intricately interwoven and so expanding one's ability to feel and move and sense and expand uh you know helps the other as well so that's you know that's kind of where the philosophy behind it's become and because it's just a growing field and there's just so many people innovating in it and a large community around the world doing it. Um, for us, it's been for years, we published a print magazine and circulated it around retreat centers. And there was tons of people to interview and talk to and write about. Um, more recently it's been an online publication and, uh, in 20, 2012, I believe, is when we realized that there really needed to be an association or an organization behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I launched what's called the Dance First Association. One of the 
taglines of the Dance First Association is uh, movement before medication, just really specifically and kind of blatantly pointing to the idea that you can uh, heal through movement and movement, certain movement practices and medication won't necessarily heal you. It's a, it can be a little bit more of a bandaid, but when you move and you dance in sort of intentional ways, you're really realizing your truth and the core of what's harming you. Exactly. And if you're depressed, don't ask your therapist for some Prozac until you're like dancing and moving. And then if, you know, if you're still depressed after you're like totally like got a good dance practice going on, then okay, then maybe, maybe you need something, something different. But you know, the whole idea of like, you know, don't resort to Western medicine until your body is like really firing on all cylinders, you know, and that, right. that, that's sort of one of the underpinnings behind it. And dance first is also a, a more functional way to serve this community than the magazine was because the magazine was sort of like standing on a rock and shining a light around at all these things and being like, look, everything's out here. You know, this is great. But it wasn't really a way for us to serve the modalities and help them grow and help them promote their stuff and help attract people to their classes and their training programs and stuff like that. So now with the association, me and my team, we're helping the teachers build their practices. We're helping the teachers um, grow their audience build their practice, become more effective at what they do. And that to me is more, uh, it's more grassroots, it's more fun and it serves the community and the field. So, 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 um, those teachers are technically members of your association, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you help them? Well, we have a thing on our website. If you go to consciousdancer.com, there's a big page on our website called the move map. And it's a it's a map of the entire world, and any of our members uh, can post uh, classes or anything from a weekly class to a big, um, you know, month long workshop or a training program. Any kind of event they have can get posted on the Move Map. The map itself on our website is like a clearinghouse of these kind of events all around the world. Um, our members also each have a um, profile page in our directory. So our website's also got a um, directory of the members with a description and profile and photographs and everything of them on there. And then in my newsletter on the Monday Love newsletter that I send out, goes to around 10,000 people around the world right now. It's a three-part newsletter. So the first part I write, like, it's kind of a blog post or a, I don't know, a rant, a rave. I write about something fun, something that's on my mind. Uh, and then the second part of the newsletter, I write a um, spotlight about one of our members. You know, I highlight them. I put a photograph about them, write about what they're up to, talk about like an upcoming workshop or training or something that they have going on. And then the third part of my newsletter every week is a huge list of links of stuff that's on the move map. So basically sending out to people all around the world just this vast list of trainings and workshops and intensives and immersions and retreats and travel tours and just all different kinds of fun stuff. And it's really neat to look look at that list. And, you know, there's not just all over America, but there's, you know, Hawaii and Costa Rica and Asia and hmm. South Africa and Italy and Croatia and uh, the USSR. It's very, wow. very international list of stuff that's happening. So so that's like 
the main promotional stuff our members get. Now, when someone posts, um, let's say if you're a member of Dance First and you post an event on our move map, so let's say you know you've got a retreat coming up in Hawaii, you post it on our move map. When we post it, when we publish it to the map, my helper with the website, he takes that link, and I think we're up to seven social media streams now that we post that link to. So we take the members link and we post it and some of them were pretty big on, we've got like 20,000 people on Facebook. Some of them were pretty small. We've probably only got like 500 people on Instagram, but the point is we are on seven different social networks now. So, uh, that link gets posted to Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, Google plus, um, LinkedIn and Reddit. So we're like, <laughs> All over the place. It's never ending. And, yeah, yeah. And so um, that in itself is a huge service because, I mean, one of, the, one of the problems that I really feel like facilitators in this field commonly run into or, you know, one of the things that people are constantly saying as I work with them is they're like, your average movement facilitator is most comfortable with their class on the dance floor, you know, the last place they want to be is on the computer, like posting all their stuff on all these social media sites and like trying to promote themselves online. So that's like the part that people are kind of like, Oh God, I really don't want to do that. So we help facilitate that whole process right. for people. Some of the other stuff that we do that's really helpful for teachers is, um, there's a selection of articles on our members site on the dance first site for members that are specifically like marketing and practice building tutorials for our members. So how to build an email list and how to get more people to come to your classes and how to, you know, effectively work with Facebook events or how to, um, easily make graphics and flyers. There's just, there's dozens of, uh, sort of, practice building tutorials and articles. Mostly what I've noticed too is people that take these trainings, they do a whichever training it may be. Some of the trainings are a weekend long. Some of the trainings are like, you know, several months over the course of the year. Uh, but they all have anywhere from maybe a little bit of marketing and practice building training in there. You know, like they might have some of that. Mm -hmm. fairly well, like some of the better ones do actually give them a little bit of support in that respect to absolutely none. I mean, a lot of the trainings, basically, it's like, great, we taught you how to, you know, all these different cool practices you're going to do on the dance floor and all these workshop techniques and all this cool stuff you're going to do in a group. And, and then the teacher goes out there and goes, oh my God, I have to fill my class. What am I going to do? Yikes. I have no, what's an email list? You know, what's yeah. a, what do I do? I have, they have no <laughs> clue how to I market. I just themselves. discovered that world recently too. It's, yeah. Build your hard. practice. It's like you're out, you're thrown out there to the world and they go, Oh my goodness, it looks so easy. You know what? But it's, it's not, you don't just build it and they will come, you know, it's not like, okay, now I've got my certificate in, you know, dance modality a, um, and if it was only that easy that you could just snap your fingers and, you know, have a weekly class with 30 people coming through the door every week and, you know, sold out week shop workshops every month or whatever. But so often I talk to people that have spent their year doing a training or their however long or how much money they spend in some big training. And then they're like, ah, I've got like five people showing up and I'm really frustrated. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And, you know, so that's when I take them. And, and I do a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one personal coaching with people. 
Um, I take on clients on a, a, generally I work with them on like a six month package or something like that and help them develop a strategy for marketing their workshops or sometimes help them uh, with their curriculum or what their program looks like, how to design or structure a program or a curriculum. Um, cause I've just seen what works and what doesn't. Right. And, um, people have been, uh, real happy to work with me like that. And that's, that's been fun and neat to help people with that kind of thing as well. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot with, uh, people I work with is, and it relates to dance and movement and also just to marketing in general is, um, the difference between a masculine and feminine business model. Mm. And, um, folks will come out of a movement training and go, wow, I got to learn how to market this stuff. And then they get online and they fire up YouTube and they type, you know, marketing workshop marketing into the search engine. And they watch a bunch of videos from all these marketing gurus and, Everybody's talking about, you know, your target audience and, you know, you got to get out there and like, you know, convert and close. And they're using all this like male dominated, like outward facing, like target kind of energy. And, you know, that's that's OK for some kind of stuff. But with so many of these practices, it's it's like the difference is instead of. Um, the masculine, like outwardly focused, you know, shoot down the target, hunt down your, your <laughs> prey, whatever, all that kind of language. It's like, no, you want to create, you're creating a container, you know? Yeah. So like masculine energy is electric. Female energy is magnetic. And so the mass, the female, feminine business model is like, well, what are you doing on the dance floor to begin with? You're creating a container. So how can you like expand that container and make that container more magnetic so that people actually want to be in it and that so that the people that are in it are actually helping you magnetize more people in it and the people that are in your container, like the, 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 the feminine magnetic like feeling is that if you're in the container like that, you're, you're loved and cared for and supported all the way through it. And so, you know, I will help people be like, well, look, how could you take your one week long workshop and change that into like a, for instance, I worked with um, a woman named Wendy Roman in um, Canada and she did a thing called the uh, Rhythmwood soul journey. So instead of a week long retreat to her retreat center in Canada, uh, she changed it into a 12 week long process. So the people started with her two months earlier. They met online six times before they met in person. She gave them self guided study modules to work with and then afterwards had some follow up too. So instead of just getting, you know, a hundred thousand people and converting 20 of them to the workshop, you know, so instead of like trying to make sales, it's like, no, have people apply for it. You want to have really good people in your container, you know, and you want to have people connecting and forming a community before they even show up. And we just enriched it in a lot of ways and we expanded it. So she just sort of expanded her container and created this sort of journey for a select group of people. And it went so well. I mean, she sold out every seat. Everybody was super excited about it. Um, they all want to keep and stay connected afterwards. They, they were together on this journey for like two and a half months, you know, and, um, 
And it was just, it was just really neat. And it fit her a lot better too, because it gave her more of an opportunity to uh, express herself with some of the preliminary stuff and not have to try and cram everything into six days while they're all right there in person. And, um, and like she said, you know, when they showed up, they already like had made friends in the, Mm -hmm. in the online groups and they'd already like a lot of the stuff, you know, so they didn't spend the first three days trying to remember each other's names and trying to break the ice. It's like, no, we're already, you know, we're already already there. Yeah, they're already ready to dive right in there. Cool. They understood a lot of her jargon and that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, it's really exciting to see how it worked out. And um, so that's some of the stuff that I work with with people, too. And just kind of helping people understand that this field isn't the same as other fields. And so marketing it and growing practices and building things up in the field isn't the same as, you know, Internet marketing or you know, sales or just a lot of the things that people do. Yeah. I mean, of course there's similarities and of course we have to use our tools however we can, but that's, you know, that gives you an idea of conscious dance, conscious dancer, how, how making the magazine kind of helped coin the term. It was intentional when we started the magazine to not trademark or brand the words conscious dance. Because I felt like with the magazine being called Conscious Dancer, it left the term Conscious Dance to be like lowercase and generic and and open source and free for anybody to use, anybody to apply that to whatever they were doing. And and it worked. It's it's worked out really well. And that's um, I've been you know excited to see that become like sort of the generic term for so many of these things. Somebody said something to me once. They said, well, you know, well, that's a great name because, you know, it's not scientific America. It's scientific American. So, yeah, it's not just dance. It's conscious dancer. You know, when you see it, it's like, is that me? Could that be me? Maybe that's me. Maybe that's not me. But it, it kind of changes it. it, changes the semantics of it in, in a weird kind of way. I heard you saying that you were into music festivals and you danced kind of spontaneously and realized some things in the moment. Was that, uh, I wanted to ask you how you got into all of this. W- was it those experiences or did you grow up dancing in a more structured way? Definitely not structured. No, it was always, um, you know, in the early years, it was more of in a rebellious form. You know, I grew up on a cattle ranch and my parents are real conservative. And so for me to go off and uh, follow bands around and be into music and stuff was kind of like, you know, what are you doing with your life? You know? <laughs> so it was, a, it was a little bit more rebellious in the early days. But yeah, so I was, like I said, you know, the Grateful Dead and the uh, jam bands of like the 70s. And um, I started to discover uh, disco and dance music a little bit towards the end of the seventies and my high school years. And, um, and then in the eighties, after I was out of high school, um, I sort of abandoned the, uh, hippie music, so to speak. And, um, this would have been, um, in the eighties, I was in school in Boulder, Colorado and dropped out of college and was in Denver. Um, and then Denver had a real active punk rock scene in those days. Um, so I was pretty wrapped up in, uh, putting on shows and being in bands and just being part of this whole like kind of explosive underground culture at the time that led me to work with a performance art group out here in San Francisco. I came to the West coast and started working with a group called survival research laboratories, S R L 
www.ghostbusters.org is the website. So you can tell how early they registered that. Right. three-letter website, srl.org. You can see videos of some of the shows we did back in the 80s and 90s. And it was like theater of machinery. It was like large-scale robotic performances that had sort of socio-political satire elements in them. And quite frankly, working with SRL took me completely out of the music world um, for seven or eight, almost 10 years. Uh, I got really good at doing metal work. I got really good at uh, machining and uh, welding and all kinds of industrial stuff. But those years took me completely away from music. And it wasn't until probably 1989 or 1990, I faded out of SRL. A woman I met while I was working at SRL, me and her got together and had a baby and started a business. And uh, anyway, we had a store on Haight Street in San Francisco. And she um, uh, was a clothing designer from New Zealand. So it started out being a clothing store. But the clothing itself was like very kind of psychedelic, but not in a hippie way. It was sort of forward thinking stuff. And anyway, long story short, our, our store on hate street became more or less like the epicenter for like the rave and the house music era of San Francisco. And so in the early nineties, especially the first half of the nineties, San Francisco had a real strong second sort of summer of love explosion where the rave music and the whole uh, house music phenomenon just completely blew up and was really happening. We were right smack in the middle of it. And our store was a place where the DJs would come and put all the flyers for the different events. And um, we started selling the mixtapes, the cassette tapes in those days of the DJs. And that's really what got me back into music. I was like, wow, what is this music? This is amazing. You know, This is incredible. What is this music? And I didn't even know people were like dancing to it or there was events or anything. And then I just, I started finding out there was uh, full moon parties and I, I, I quickly connected to these people that would put a full moon party on every month and they would take a sound system out to a beach or a mm-hmm. hilltop or something. And we would have these all night full moon dances. And, uh, and, and that's when DJ culture just really just blew up in my face, really. And uh, I got a pair of turntables and we had turntables in my store. And so there was DJs in my store all the time. And pretty soon we started selling records and all through it. I just, I recognized, I was like, wow, this is like, this is something different. This is not rock and roll. This is like a whole new paradigm of, of, uh, culture here. And, um, I was, uh, at the time I was acquainted with a fellow named Terrence McKenna. He, we would run into each other. Sometimes we, I, I don't know, I'd be at the same event or, got to know him fairly well over the years before he passed away. That's awesome. And, you know, yeah, he, he was really, really an amazing character. He talked a lot about um, dominator culture versus partnership society. And I really saw that metaphor playing itself out in the rave and in, in the uh, house music culture. Because when you talk about dominator culture, it's like, okay, that's like top down. That's like, you know, the, the church or the teacher standing in front of the class telling everybody, this is how you got to think. This is what you got to do. And to me, that's kind of like what rock and roll looked like. It's like, okay, so there's the people on stage, you know, they're doing their thing. We're all out here consuming it. We're all facing that way. They're looking down at us. You know, we, we all show up and pay our money or do our thing to be entertained by these people up there who have some kind of more knowledge than us or whatever. And as soon as I started going to the raves, 
I'm like, wait, this is totally different. We're it's flat. We're all on the same level. There's speakers in all four corners of the room, you know, and the DJ is over there and he's like at eye level with us, you know, and it's like it just felt so different. I was like, this is something totally different. There's something totally different going on there. And and so I started that's when I first started writing about uh, consciousness and music. I was just writing several. I wrote several articles for magazines and we used to publish this little thing out of my store at the time. That was, um, you know, kind of like about like, wow, this transformative culture and uh, dance as a, as a catalyst in society. And, you know, I had sort of all these different kind of high minded theories about it at the time. But thinking about it more and more, uh, I realized that the DJs, especially when the DJs were playing vinyl, which I still do, by the way, the DJ was actually sort of the perfect metaphor for partnership society because the, the DJ in a rave playing records is always in partnership with the people who made the records. It's like, it's never just you standing there with your ego pressing the button or like, you know, playing the keys. It's like, no, you're only as good as your records. And so it takes somebody who's making good records. Like they're only as like the person who's making the records has got to have a DJ to play them. The DJ has got to have people making records. So it's like this partnership okay. thing. And then you've got to like do that, good in order to make all these people out there have a good time. So it's like, you know, it's sort of this intersecting sort of figure eight loop of energy. And I just really felt like it was kind of a new paradigm. And that's, that's when I started writing about it. Long story short, fast forward, you know, staying up all night and going to rave parties only lasted so long and the scene started to change. And for various reasons, my shop on hate street ran its course, but that's when we started to take dance music and turntables to these retreat centers. And so we got into Esalen down in Big Sur. I actually did a dance one there one night when Terrence McKenna was there. We did um, turntables into Harbin Hot Springs. And by the way, when I was at Esalen, that's when Terrence McKenna told me, we asked him one night, we said, you know, what do we do? We've got all this knowledge. Like, what do we, how do we change the world with all these insights? And he said, he said, well, you got to create meaning. You know, we're not the next generations are not going to have myths to live by unless people that are having insights now mm-hmm. tell the stories, create meaning, you know, actually like pull some meaning out of it as it's happening. And so that 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 advice he gave me really, really helped kind of steer my life path from then on. So for several years there, I was DJing every month or so up at Harbin Hot Springs. And I even made business cards at one point that called myself kind of jokingly a conscious dance facilitator because I was like, what do, what do I call myself? I mean, I'm just basically bringing like the rave to these hot springs, except nobody's drinking and smoking and nobody's staying up all night. They're all just like meditating and doing yoga and soaking in the pool all day. And then they're like so hyped to dance. And that's, you know, that's when I really started to realize, wait a minute, this is like the next level, you know, where people are consciously stepping into these dance floor spaces and like really able to really flip into the really good dance energy without all of the, you know, recreational drugs or bad habits or whatever. The whole club culture thing just got so boring and old. Um, and then I met my second daughter's mom and we talked about doing this or that or starting a business. And uh, it just came to me in a flash one day at Harbin Hot Springs. I was like, wait a minute. What if we made a magazine called Conscious Dancer? You know, wow, what would that be like? You know, because I'd been to some dances, some other like freestyle dances in uh, Hawaii and then in uh, Portland and Seattle. 
And I'd been coming to like uh, some of the dances here in the Bay Area, the one that I manage now. I was even going to in those days Dance Jam on Friday nights in Berkeley. And I had also gone to some five rhythms classes and had heard about like soul motion and was starting to go, wow. So there's all these like modalities and classes in this stuff. And I was just really switched on to it all at that point. Just like, wow, what is this? This is like a whole new field, you know? And that's kind of when it hit me. And I was like, wow, let's make a magazine. Let's call it Conscious Dancer. We'll get to write about all these people and talk about it and just like, really start a cultural conversation around all of these new forms of movement and just kind of chronicle this movement as it were, as it, as it grows and expands. So, um, the, the tagline for the original magazine was movement for a better world. You know, that's kind of the origin story of <laughs> me and the term and how it came about. And, uh, and it gave awesome. me an opportunity to write about it, you know, interview people and, do more of what I love, which is uh, write and talk about dance and movement and consciousness and stuff like that. <laughs> That's such an awesome story. Like yeah. those steps, all those little things that happened that led you here today is yeah. so awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, another little footnote to the story was we decided to start the magazine. We, we find a graphic designer, you know, or like putting out this little flyer around town, like we're going to start a magazine. It's going to be called conscious dancer. We, just had, we had no clue. I had no experience publishing or anything. We're like, it can't be that hard, right? Uh, you just sell some ads and make a magazine. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> How long did it take for people to catch on or like get invested? Well, people, I mean, pretty much right away, people were like, wow, that's cool. And we sold some ads and got a magazine out pretty quick. It was pretty surprising. Nice. I, think I had the idea in April and we had our first magazine out in September of that year. Uh, but we really didn't know what we were doing. And of course, that was 2007. So, you know, the recession hit in 2008. And, you know, so people are like, oh, this is a great time to start a business. And, uh, <laughs> and also it's like, yeah, let's start a print magazine, you know, as the Internet's like as magazines and newspapers are shutting down everywhere because of the Internet. We're like, no, let's start a magazine. You know, people are like, you're nuts. Uh, but, you know, we did. And it went pretty well for a while. The thing uh, that happened real early on, though, that was real interesting is, um, just partway through even just trying to put together the mock-up for the very first edition, we had a little flyer that was floating around town that was, you know, saying there's going to be this magazine and it's going to be called Conscious Dancer, blah, blah, blah. And the phone rang and this woman started talking to me a mile a minute. And she's saying, you know, I, I heard about this magazine you're starting, you know, and the name Conscious Dancer really struck me. It sounds really interesting. And I always wondered if a magazine could be done consciously. And I'm really interested in um, you know, dance and movement and consciousness and all this stuff. Long story short, at the end of the conversation, she's like, Oh, and you know, if you need any help, I'd love to help out. I just, I happen to have, you know, 20 years experience as a world class magazine art director. Yeah. This is when Laura, Laura Chirilia came on board and she's been my best, one of my best friends and uh, creative kind of partners ever since. Um, I founded the magazine with my daughter's mom, my ex, and we're, happily co-parenting our daughter from uh, different different homes at this point we're not in business together anymore but but that's one of the things that really helped move the magazine forward as fast as it did is the fact that we uh brought somebody on board right away who really knew how to make a magazine and really knew how to make design something beautiful and how to work with photography and fonts and uh editorial and that was you know when i when i kind of tell the story of how it all 
came together, I kind of want to make sure I get that little piece in there because she was having her jump on board was really just like, wow, now it's like we could really make a real magazine and it can really look cool. And we've got something that looks good enough for advertisers to buy into and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So what did work is we just thought, well, you know, this magazine really should just get sprinkled around everywhere. So we would just send bundles of it all over the country. And we'd call up places like the Omega Institute in New York and Kripalu in Massachusetts and Rancho La Puerta down in Baja and Esalen and just all the hot spots where all this kind of stuff was happening and say, hey, can we send you a bundle of magazines? Can you put them in the lobby? You know, can you put them in the rooms or whatever? And, um, and they'd say, yeah, sure. So if nothing else, um, our sort of haphazard distribution model of the first few years really helped to get the term conscious dance established all around the world. We were even sending magazines to um, Great Britain and Germany and stuff for a while. So we, we just sprinkled them little bits all over the world. And so people would always say, wow, I can't believe I was in Canada. I saw your magazine. I was in, <laughs> was in you know, Hawaii. I saw your magazine. I was in Costa Rica. I saw your magazine. It's like, yeah, that, that was the idea. Get it out all over the place and then just see what happens. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I love your your mission and the message that you're trying to get out there. It obviously aligns with my field in dance movement therapy and my podcast about how I'm just trying to, you know, help people understand and realize that the incorporation of body and movement and being consciously aware of your body and dancing is really important for a well-rounded whole life. And, Absolutely, uh, and it's cool to hear that there are so many different practices that you guys help other people understand are out there. Definitely, definitely, and uh, you know, just chiming in on that, one of the things we thought all along is like, you know, as the world becomes more and more technological, and people are spending more and more time hunched over their screens all day, the more people are going to need dance and movement, mm -hmm. and you know, like intentional like joyful physical activity because we just spend so much time. I mean, at yeah. least now we can talk to each other and Skype and stuff. I mean, back in 07 or 08, this was even kind of new, but, uh, but yeah, as the world becomes more technological, the more, um, we need these, these practices. And I really want to, um, commend you and applaud you for, uh, diving in and creating a podcast. And, uh, especially as a, um, a woman's voice in the podcasting world, you're, you're, um, a rare, a rare bird and that's very much in your favor and a very, I really encourage you and applaud what you're up to and uh, you know, really wish you the best of luck with it. I think it's going to go really well for you. Thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun to tell my story. It's great. I was telling somebody today, I was like, this is fun to be on the other side of it because <laughs> typically I'm interviewing people and you know, I'm saying a few words and they're yapping for an hour <laughs> today. I get to, yeah, you got so. the chance. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I love your story. I just think it's so unique. And, you know, you, people generally make assumptions about anybody they don't know anything about. So, right. you know, I just saw your podcast a while ago and I was like, well, maybe he grew up dancing and so on and so right. forth. But your story is <laughs> extremely interesting. <laughs> and I hope people listening to this will appreciate it as much as I do. Oh, good. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's really fun to, to tell it. And, um, you know, so people are listening. Um like I said before, ConsciousDancer.com. Be sure to sign up. There's a form on every page at the bottom of the page. You put your first name and your email. You'll get my Monday Love newsletter. It goes out every week. I'd love to get people in there. 
We have a, a, a big group on Facebook, the Conscious Dancer group. We have the Conscious Dancer Facebook page, of course. And then, like I said, we're on uh, pretty much every social media stream you can imagine. You can search for Conscious Dancer and find us and follow us or friend us or whatever, you know, whatever the jargon is for whatever <laughs> site. And uh, people need to get a hold of me. Just mark at ConsciousDancer.com is my email. I'm uh, available for uh, everything from podcast interviews to personal coaching to, uh, you know, who knows. So, or sign people up to become members of dance first. We're a, like I said, it's a membership organization. It's a by monthly fee. People pay anywhere from $9 to $99 a month, depending on the level of service they get. So great. Yeah. Thanks so much for That's, sharing. Yeah. Well, you know, glad to, glad to see more media being made in this, you know, to paraphrase yeah. the terms of Terrence McKenna, you know, you're creating meaning. So much congratulations there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Orit. Thank you listeners for sticking around. And again, please visit www.mindyourbodydmt.com slash leave a review and get in that contest. All right. Bye.